We are continuing our series from Colossians today. I nearly said Ephesians there, which we haven't been studying at all. But if you would like to follow along with me in Colossians chapter 4, that's on page 1235 in the Pew Bible. So feel free to grab that if you'd like. We'll begin at verse 2. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Well, we pray that our hearts be open to receive more and more of an understanding of who you are and how you love us. We thank you, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, I have perhaps unwisely called this sermon Thoughts and Prayers. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know why that might be a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit awkward, Thoughts and Prayers is this expression that kind of gets tossed around when it seems that people don't actually want to help a situation. The <laughs> most famous, perhaps, example is in the US, where there is a preventable tragedy like a school shooting, and the response from lawmakers and politicians is, our thoughts and prayers are with the families. And the response of the families is often, we don't really want your thoughts and prayers, we want legislation to stop this from happening again. <laughs> we want a health system that means we won't be bankrupt because our child was shot in a school. So if you could save your thoughts and prayers and actually make a difference, that would be great. <laughs> thoughts and prayers is often used as an expression. It's used as an excuse when we're not willing to do something rather than a commitment and a promise for something that we do want to do, that we are planning on doing. And I can kind of, I kind of understand that on a, on a more local level. I'm sure many of us have had conversations with people that have gone to a church and asked for help. And the church has said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll pray for you. It's like, well, that's great, thanks. But actually, what I need is groceries. So if you could give me groceries, I'll take the prayers too. But I've communicated my needs. And actually, what I need is right in front of you. On a really personal level for me, I, I feel bad, and I mean, the pandemic was a really difficult, really hard time where we weren't able to communicate, where we weren't able to be around one another, and that's something that I really enjoy doing. It's something that's really important to me to be able to connect, and so saying all I can do is pray, I felt like I was selling people short. <laughs> There's been times when people have asked me for prayer, and I've said, no, like, I actually want to help. Like, <laughs> like, tell me what I can really do to assist you here rather than just cast you off as some thoughts and prayers. 
so perhaps inadvisedly, I'm calling this sermon why I'm sending thoughts and prayers to Ukraine. Just to catch you up with where we have been, we've been looking at Colossians since the beginning of the year. And the first half of Colossians is this rich, deep theology, but it's all about keeping Christ at the center. So it's kind of hard to understand in places, but it's about keeping Christ at the center. And the second half of Colossians is really practical, but it's again based about what it looks like to keep Christ at the center. And a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about how it looks like when we keep Christ at the center, that we act in a way that make people feel safe, that allow people to be vulnerable with us. And, and Donna did a fantastic job last week on preaching the bits of Colossians that no one wants to preach on. <laughs> this is what you can do when you're a pastor. You give the bits you don't like to other people. Uh, but did a fantastic job of what it looks like to keep Christ in the center in all of our relationships. And so this incredible book with this deep and rich theology, and then it gets really practical, and and now we're reaching the end. And this is what Paul has to say. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. So we've got this rich theology, and then we get the immediately practical, and to top it all off, please pray. (laughs) The thing that Paul asks for, who's the author of Colossians, says, please send me your thoughts and prayers. (laughs) And so this is my first point. This is the first reason I'm sending my thoughts and prayers to Ukraine. And the reason for that is because they have asked for them. This is something that I've I've come to realize that I'm not always good (laughs) at coming forward and offering my prayers to people. Because as I say, I kind of want to do something a bit more practical. Uh, I've made a friend in a restaurant recently. Uh, she's been my server for the last year or so. And I try to make friends with everyone everywhere I go. It, it's very boring. If you're ever out for me with a meal, you'll know that I, I try to chat with everyone where I can. And after a year of friendship with this person, we were talking around Christmas and she shared just how hard things were for her in that moment. And I said, like, is, is there anything that I can do? Like, what can I do to help? I'm a pastor. We, we can probably help you out. And she, she burst into tears, and she was like, if you're a pastor, the, the best thing you can do is pray. And again, I was like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I can. But also, I can, like, actually help you here. Like, what do you really need? What do you really need? And what she said is, no, the, the best thing you can do, the thing I need most are your prayers right now. And I know this is a really bad thing for me to admit as a pastor that I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll pray, but what do you really need? But it's a reminder that actually this woman has a much better understanding of what prayer is and what it means in situations like this. Saying all we can do is pray is radically underestimating what it means to pray. You know, all I can do is enter into a conversation 
with the triune God who's been speaking words of love over me from the dawn of creation and will continue until, well, it'll never, ever stop. All I can do is enter into that conversation and, and try and understand better and, and hear from them in that. That's quite a big thing. That's not just, <laughs> that's not a small thing that's going on there. We send our thoughts and prayers because people ask for them. Sometimes we may find ourselves in a position where we've been hurt or bruised or let down by life so badly that we don't want to pray, <laughs> but we want other people to pray for us. And this is one of the amazing things, and it's one of the things happening in Ukraine right now, that folks who are at a loss for words are asking us to pray for them. It's a real privilege. I was listening to a podcast this week with Sarah Bessie, who's an amazing author. And she was saying that when she lost her best friend, and it, it devastated her, because of course it devastated her, how could it not? There were times when she felt completely unable to pray, but she did feel able to contact her friends and say, please pray for me. Like, I don't have the words right now. She said, I can feel Jesus sitting in the room with me, but I don't know what to say. I just don't have the words to say anything. One of the great things about prayers that have been written by someone else, like what I read out earlier, is there'll be times when we don't have the words, when it feels too difficult to pray by ourselves. So we get to lean on our brothers and sisters and siblings who have been praying for thousands and thousands of years and lean on them too. So if you feel like you're in a position where you don't have words, that's okay, because other people do. And for thousands of years, people have been praying to. So we send our thoughts and our prayers because people ask us to send our thoughts and our prayers. The second reason, there's three reasons, by the way. This three, the second reason we're going to send our thoughts and prayers is, get this, Sometimes things happen the way we want them to happen. That's, that's a thing that can happen in prayer. <laughs> I think this is fascinating that of all the things that Paul can ask for, devote yourselves in prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So like, remember where he is. He's in jail right now. He's in prison, which there's a good chance that just ends in execution. That's a thing. And he's like, open a door, not for me to get out of, but open a door for our message so that we can share what's going on. I wonder, there's, there's a couple of wonderful jailbreaks in the book of Acts. I want to read a couple of them to you now. These, these are so fun, I think. So Acts 12, which is subtitles, Peter's Miraculous Escape from Prison. Uh, I won't read the whole thing because it's long. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Harold was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. 
Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, and then Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what was going on. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked in the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were anticipating. <laughs> this is so funny. When this had dawned on him, he went over to the house of Mary and mother of John, who was called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. She kept insisting that it was so, and they said, it must be his angel. But he, Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Isn't that amazing? So they were praying that this thing would happen, and then it did happen, and they went, nah, it can't be happening. Also, as a general rule, if a servant girl tells you something in the Bible, it's probably true. Just believe them. <laughs> it's really rare that servant girls aren't telling the truth in Scripture. But I think this is a lovely example of maybe what Paul has in the back of his mind. Like, if, if God wants to free me, he can free me from this. But actually, we also get to see what happens when Paul gets freed from prison in Acts 16, which I'm also going to read to you. So they've been thrown in jail, and they've shackled them. It says, about midnight, Paul and Cyrus were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At the hour of the night, the jailer told him and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought him into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Like, isn't that beautiful? Like, it's quite possible that jailbreak was on Paul's mind when he wrote these words, but we get to see exactly how he behaves. What's the way that I can most effectively share the love of Jesus? And it's not by escaping, it's by sticking around, it's by being a testament, by being a testimony of love. 
to this person who would have harmed himself if I'd done anything different. Sometimes we ask for prayer. Sometimes we send our thoughts and prayers because we get what we ask for. And not to put too fine a point on this, the fact that we, a bunch of people, thousands of years later, thousands of miles <laughs> from where these prayers were originally requested, maybe Paul got what he wanted. <laughs> maybe generations of people sending their thoughts and prayers part of the reason for where we are now. Paul gets exactly what he asks for. So the third and final reason we send our thoughts and our prayers is because it changes us. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who is a was a Danish philosopher uh, that lots of people say they're into, but actually he's really complicated and we don't really understand what he's saying most of the time. But he's very quotable, and one of his quotable moments is that prayer may not change the, word, the mind of God, but it will certainly change the mind of the one who prays. So prayer may not change the mind of God, but it will certainly change the mind of the one who prays. Because of course it does. Because when we pray, we're opening the communication lines with the one who loves us so dearly, with the one who loves our neighbors so dearly, so desperately, the one who looks at all of creation, every human, and loves them. When we pray, we may not change the mind of God, but it will certainly change us. There are moments, I think, when, <laughs> when we pray, but God's mind is already kind of made up. Again, in the nicest way, I can pray for my neighbors, especially uh, neighbors in this area that don't have as much as they need, and I think that's good to do so. But what should really be happening in those moments is that my heart should be moved to do more. If I speak to God and say, you know, these people are hungry, what do I think his answer is going to be? If we go to a friend <laughs> who really cares about something and ask their opinion about that thing, we know what they're going to say, right? Like that's a, if I go and talk to Kevin about techno music, I know he's going to be big into techno music. That's just a thing that I know. If I <laughs> I'm trying to think, what are other people into? Jordan, you're into nerdy things like that. <laughs> we know what God is going to say when we say, hey, can you help this? God says, absolutely, go do that thing. Jesus gets quite cross with people that pray very well, that don't necessarily act upon those prayers. Um, and I'll, I'll read this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they are heard 
because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our thoughts and prayers aren't a magic spell. It's not if we say the correct words in the right order, we get what we want. Any parent that acts that way is, is kind of a monster, actually. God already knows what we need. What we need is to keep those lines of communication open. So I want, I want to leave us with two things today. And I have been praying quite a lot this week because I should, <laughs> and I need to. <laughs> but two things have really struck me, and one of them is based on that last part, that one of the reasons we offer our thoughts and prayers is because it changes us, and it should change us. And so for all my prayers about the desperate situations faced by people in Ukraine, but also so many other areas of the world that are affected by war, all of them that break God's heart and should break our hearts too. Uh, we as a church are going to start taking a bit of a collection for, realistically, it's probably going to be the Red Cross because they're involved in a lot of areas like that and they can probably be more effective with that money than we can. Uh, I spoke to Emily and Dale. And my, I think we should just have this and Emily and Dale are very sensible. Like You should probably give people a bit more time, James. All to say, I think it's important that we as a church act on our prayers and I think act on what we know God would say to us in the situation. Uh, there will be people here that don't have anything to give, and that's absolutely fine. Um, please don't worry about it. But if this is something that has been tugging on your heart a little bit, um, I'd encourage you to pray about it throughout the week and, and see what God wants to do. The other thing, and I'm hoping this can be a fun thing that we as a church do together. A lot of very wise people that I listen to say they begin and end their day with uh, usually the same piece of scripture. So John Stott, I believe, always begun his day with Micah 6.8. I know that uh, Brad Jersak, someone else I really like, begins his day with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor. Um, every single day he begins with that. That's where he drown, drown, grounds himself. So I thought throughout Lent that we as a church could do this together. It requires a tiny bit of discipline, <laughs> but not too much. And what I've called it is 24-7, because I like to think I'm cleverer than I really am. And it's a total of 24 verses. So a total of 24 verses over seven days. So Micah 6.8 is one of them. That's just one verse that you need to pray when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. And I'm going to send these out by email later today. And my prayer and my hope is that we all, as a community, as a congregation, begin and end our days with these verses of Scripture, opening ourselves up to what God has to say, uh, basing our prayers and our attitudes in those verses. So, so I, I guess that's the conclusion, the end, I suppose. <laughs> That's the way that I have been changed through prayer. It's something that I want to share with all y'all. And so I, I really hope that you'll join me with that. Let's, let's pray. God, we are 
so thankful that you love to hear from us, but also that you love to speak to us too. We pray that our hearts be open, be supple. We pray that we can begin the day reminding ourselves of who you are and how you love us. That we can end the day reminding ourselves of who you are and how you love us. And we pray that our words be gentle and seasoned with salt whenever we share who you are and how you love us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.